Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Everybody, this is Dr. David Wardy coming at you with Dr. Nick Jensen, and we got another great episode coming your way. The last episode we were talking about the body ecosystem hierarchy and we started with number one as as I discussed if anybody caught that episode with the extracellular matrix and today me and Dr. Nick are going to break down number two and then maybe even number three we're going to get into the brain and the immune aka slash the lymphatic system. Dr. Nick how are you today bud? Doing well, man. I, I told you we just got back from a vacation. So today is day one in, in the clinic. And when you're away for even a week, it's it's like, you know, it's you're kind of scrambling a little bit. I, I, know, the, I know the feeling, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's a busy day here, too. And, you know, running from one patient to the next, there's different needs that people have. I mean, I'm sometimes blown away how we just keep putting on different hats as we go through the day. Sometimes we're a technician. Sometimes we're really, you know, compassionately listening. Hopefully we're always compassionately listening, but I just find that people need different things. And so you're, you, you have to be very adaptable. And, and it's funny when you're out of the rhythm of that for a week and then you jump back in, it's kind of like, oh yeah, this is what I do every day. Oh yeah, uh, it's, man. It's a bit of a shock on the system. It's like getting back into chameleon mode, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, That's yeah. a great way of describing it. I, I know exactly what you mean, but. Yeah. Well, and as it should be, right? Because if we weren't doing that, that means we'd be doing like cookie cutter stuff on everybody. That's not how it works. Totally. Right. And I, I find like the conversations that come up with people when you, and again, maybe it's when you just tap back into being present. Like, I, I really feel like being a doctor really forces presence upon you because I know you do this too. You can read the signs that the the patient is giving you that's sitting in front of you and they, they tune in. If, if, if you're slightly checking out, I'm like, wait a second, I'm, I'm not being present here for this person. And then once you anchor in, I find that just the quality of the conversation changes. I mean, this happens obviously with your partner or your family and whatnot too, but it really forces you to be present because ultimately you want to win for the person that's sitting in front of you and you want them to realize that for themselves and uh but yeah being a chameleon is is part of the job it really is i love what you just mentioned man because i was having i do these little workshop trainings for my employees every week and i find even if it's just 10 15 minutes to teach them something Mm -hmm. and last week we were talking about presence and i'm big on presence because the work that we do in this clinic you have to be very present to have the result that we want to have you know when we're having table time with a patient and i was telling him i said you know When you look at presence, there's really multiple layers to presence. I was like, so I'm going to give you like another layer to start thinking about when you're trying to be present with somebody. I said, so one, there's just being aware and and giving that person the space, right? And holding the space and being with them, right? And being tuned into them. That's, That's the first layer. The second layer I told them is what stream of consciousness do you want to bring to that environment, right? So like... I showed them, you know, we've talked about, is it David Hawking, right? Mm-hmm. Hawking, right? Yeah. Uh, I showed them that chart we've looked at, yeah. right, with the levels of consciousness. And I said, yeah. look, if you're, if you're going to be in that person's space and you're present, but let's say that day there's any kind of negative 
levels of consciousness running through you, negative emotions, things like anger or, you know, grief or sadness, things like that. I was like, you're actually going to be disrupting the patient on the table with the energy that you're bringing to the space. Mm-hmm. And so I show them those upper levels, right? Like, so past courage, you have acceptance, willingness, joy, peace, love, all those things. And I said, so imagine being able to be so present that not only are you present with the patient, but you have a stream, I call them heart streams, of either love or gratitude, right? Or joy, mm-hmm. whatever you choose to have when you're sharing that space with that person. And what could that do for that person? So the way I show them how this works is I will have them muscle test like one of the other employees in the table and we'll find an indicator muscle that's strong. And then I'll tell them, okay, I'm going to come up to the table and and I'm just going to bring a lower frequency. So I I tapped into hate and then the patient would go weak on the table. And so I'd Mm -hmm. say, you see, and then I went all the way across the room, but I would still stay in that state. And she was, the patient is still weak on the table. And I said, you see how I can be all the way across the room, but be in that state. And it's still affecting you on the table all the way across the room. And Mm -hmm. so then. I had them raise their consciousness to a place of like love, right? And joy. And immediately it negated me. And so I showed them, I said, when you're at that level of energy and you're in that, in that amount of expansion, just like we talked to, uh, who was the facial diagnosis guy where he oh, said one act of love knocks out four haters, right? Yeah. So I kind of reiterated that lesson. I said, you were in a state of love and I was in a state of hate. And you were able to knock out my frequency. And I was right next to the table when you did it. I was like, so the amount of energy and the amount of presence, and like you just said, how deep do you want to go with your presence? There's there's a lot of power in that, right? And so I thought I'd just share that just because it is important. And if people would, I mean, if people would think about those things, I even told them, I was like, this, this goes beyond the clinic, guys. Like, this goes when you're just around your family, like you just mentioned, or your partner, or like, mm-hmm. let's say you're around somebody who's not having a good day. You could change their day just by stepping into their field and being in that state. I was like, totally. it will raise their vibration. I was like, their body almost will harmonize with that upper energy that you're bringing. So very cool stuff. That's a, I mean, what a great teaching moment and experience for your people to go through like they i think maybe many of us that are in this sort of space of healing we maybe have you know been exposed to muscle testing or um, maybe through heart math or some of these other types of technologies understood that you know or had an experience of of that but what a great tool to to show you you know the people you work with so that you know it's not uncommon where someone comes in and they have a terrible day and it, you know, you, someone might, that frequency, that energy might kind of rub off on someone. You might, you know, just take someone at face value and go like, Oh, that person's, you know, a jerk or they're, they're not friendly or what have you. But, but really what you're offering them is to actually, well, if you just came from that place of love or, you know, change the state that you're in, you're probably going to have an impact on that person who walked in the door in a certain way, but now they're actually leaving with just maybe a hint of something more, something more possible for them. Oh, absolutely. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah. And the other piece there, man, just to wrap it up is there's a, a law of thermodynamics energetics and it's the amount of presence that you have with someone or something is directly proportional to the amount of effort you're going to have to put forth. So I won't, the more present you are, the less effort it takes. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. 
And so it just goes to show you like how much people, how much energy are people draining all day? Cause they're just not present and like, they're just losing energy. And for our listeners, you only have so much energy every day you wake up and it's like a battery and there's only so much and the body will utilize the energy that it needs for vital function demands and keeping you alive. And then whatever's left over is that your disposal to either burn through or to efficiently use it throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a big one. That's huge. Well, I mean, it directly correlates with sort of this hierarchy that, that we're speaking to, right? Because so much of that bandwidth and uh, ability to regulate is dictated by how our brain is doing, right? Our nervous yeah. system and our brain. The master system. The master system. So dive in, like, why is this number two on your list? You know, we talked a lot about the extracellular matrix and the fascial networks. And definitely, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back one episode to tune into that one. Um, so how are they, maybe, maybe like, why is that the next on your list and and how are the two connected because there's definitely synergy between the the ecm and oh, the absolutely yeah so those are both communication networks right we talked briefly last time cellular matrix is much faster than the brain as far as processing and moving energy and information through the body but the reason brain is number two is because if we have any kind of trauma to our brain anything major happens to our brain and we're in really big trouble health-wise, right? I mean, this can cause major problems. I mean, the littlest brain issue can cause, you can die from a brain problem, right? You know, I got a, I had a, a scare a couple of years ago with my dad. He had a pituitary adenoma. Freaked me out, man. And then I found out that tons of people get these, and it's a real common thing, and they actually have surgical centers because there's so many people that have these problems. But it's a serious thing, right? Like, if, if something goes wrong there, you're going to have a lifelong problem right? You could be handicapped with something. So the brain, it's our master system. You know, I preach about this system all the time. This is our broadcasting system. Okay. You're at home, you turn on your TV. If you can't see anything on the screen, there's something wrong with the broadcast. Well, your brain's your communication network. It's constantly feeding and processing everything that it's reading from your environment from a sensory aspect. So you have what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you taste, right? What you smell, and all that, all that sensory input constantly is being fed into your system. And then your brain has to process that along with your mind. And then all that hodgepodge has to come out as a motor component of how we interact with our world. Um, and so you look at the brain and you say, okay, well, what kind of things go wrong here and how does it affect the whole, right? And so there, I'll get there, there's the other big reason it's number two. So we talked about the way the ECM affects the whole, but let's talk about way, the way the brain's going to start to affect the whole. Well, when we're under chronic stress and our nervous system's tipping too much towards this fight, flight, or freeze type tone, we're, we're going to get in trouble when this becomes chronic. When it's acute, we usually can be adaptive and we can have that reactivity to get back into that flow of that, you know, parasympathetic mode where we're calm and relaxed, but we're alert. But when we're chronically getting into this mode where this we're in this sympathetic overdrive all the time, that's actually what starts to cause the problems for us. And the brain, just like any organ system, right, it's going to start to struggle if it's being overstressed. So... The way I break this down, and interrupt me, man, please, as we're going through here, if you have input. So one of the big things I always talk about, I start with people, is just the two tones of our nervous system, right? We just talked about it, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And I explained like what I just said, when we're chronically stuck over on this sympathetic tone, this is where we're going to start to have problems. So when we lose reactivity of that ANS, the autonomic nervous system, 
this will cause a lot of disruption in the brain, different parts of our brain centers from the prefrontal cortex. You know, you have your visual cortex, auditory cortex, you have your motor cortex. I mean, just think of all the other parts of our brain that have to work cohesively all day long to help us just adapt and be who we are and show up. So the moment we're stuck in this chronic state of stress, we lose integrity of something called the prefrontal cortex of our brain. So the analogy I like to give, because it just simplifies it, imagine you're at a like an orchestra, right? And you have the conductor guy with the two little sticks and he's up there in front of everybody and he's doing his little movements. And all those instruments sound perfect, right? You can hear that beautiful symphony from the orchestra and that music sounds amazing. Well, for us, when it's that way, we have good stress resilience, we have good emotional resilience. It takes a lot to rock the boat. We're very, very resilient. We can show up to life and we adapt really well. But what happens is when we're stuck in that fight or flight too long in that chronic stress, you lose integrity of your prefrontal cortex. Now your prefrontal cortex, this is your executive function. This is thinking about thinking, logic and reasoning, pain perception. This is the guy that kind of runs the show. He's the conductor. So that chronic stress causes that conductor to get drunk. So then he's going to start struggling a little bit and he can't keep those other brain centers organized and they can't stay in coherence, which they can't stay connected. And the moment that happens, then we start to have problems. So the way that's going to show up for an individual is number one, it's the opposite of what I just talked about. You lose your stress resilience, you lose your emotional resilience. It doesn't take much to rock the boat. You get irritable. Okay. Uh, you lose conscious control of your emotions, which actually causes more of a downhill spiral. So when we lose conscious control of our emotions, so these can be things like anger, frustration, this can be uh, overcaring, this can be panic, this can be fear. The moment we lose that conscious control of those types of emotions, then here comes more mental stress and emotional stress because we're stuck in that stress and we can't manage our own stress. So this starts to just snowball more and more problems with the nervous system. And then as that's translating, we all know how that feels in life. What, what happens the longer we're there? We're going to start having issues with our energy and our sleep. You know, the common thing I get from people when they're in this state is they can't turn their brain off when it's time to go to bed and they're stuck in their thoughts or they're waking up in the middle of the night and their brain's like running 100 miles an hour. And I know our listeners, everybody, it's just happened to everybody, including me and Nick. You're asleep and all of a sudden you wake up and then like you're already thinking about the next day and your brain's running 100 miles an hour. And you're like, why am I already thinking about all this crap? Or you're thinking about stuff in the past and you're stressing. And it's the middle of the night. You just woke up from a dead sleep, right? So that's another common thing you will see when this is happening. So when the brain loses integrity or coherence, like I say, there's just this snowball unraveling, man. And then we can't adapt really well. And then the longer you're there, like I'm talking, for some people, this is short-lived and it's not that long and they can recover. But other people, they're here for one, they're here for years, buddy, or like months. So imagine being stuck in that state for months. So then you have this, let me just keep going here, okay? And you can add to me. So then after the brain goes with the stuff I'm talking about right now and the mental stress component, then you have your hormone problems that are going to follow that. Why? Well, what do your hormones do? Well, it's called the neurohormonal backup system. Their job is to kick in when we're under stress to help us deal with stress. So the longer we're in that fight or flight, the more our body's going to be shunting cortisol out to basically deal with that stress. So then you have pregnenolone on the up, right? Because we're shunting all of our resources to that cortisol. And then we're going to have issues with 
our pituitary gland, anterior, posterior, pituitary, our adrenals are going to start to stroke, so you can have adrenal insufficiency. Uh, that's more from like what we call the, uh, the general adaptive syndrome over time, which we'll talk about if you want. Um, and then after the adrenals start to go, you're going to see issues um, with the, potentially the thyroid when this is chronic. And then even for women and men, this is going to affect gonads and ovaries because it's going to affect the entire endocrine system, right? So you get this, this, this cascade of the hormones doing their job first, but then the longer you have to stay there, if we're in chronic stress, then the hormones are going to start to struggle. So I, the way that shows up for us as individuals is you're going to get tired. You're going to notice there's fatigue present in your day and you're, you're not having enough energy like you normally have. You're going to notice sleep disruption. So you'll start to notice there's issues with sleep. You're not waking up rested. And then you're going to start to notice things like brain fog, anxiety, depression. All these things start coming when the hormones start to struggle. So, there's a lot that happens once the brain starts to struggle. Okay, I could keep going around, so I'm going to stop here because I'm sure we'll talk about some of the things, but I hope that kind of just painted a picture for people why our brain is so important in the hierarchy of systems and why when we're not feeling well, you have to go upstream and address the brain for everything else to get well. Because I could have structural issues at local tissue or muscle things. I could have hormone issues, right? I could have a lot of these downstream things happening, even with my gut. And if my brain is still out of whack, it's going to continually cause that problem because the communication system's off, the broadcasting system's off, and it can't communicate efficiently to the body to get these mechanisms back into balance. So the way, I, the way I'll simplify that for our listeners is everything has a rhythm in your body. Every organ has a rhythm, every system has a rhythm, and then all those systems are working together in a rhythm. So dis-ease in our body comes when we're out of rhythm, when we lose that biological rhythm. And the moment these rhythms disrupt, one of the biggest rhythm, rhythms that needs to be in coherence is your brain. Because if that one's off, all the other ones won't come back online the way they need to. So the brain's number two for me, man. That's why it's number two. Yeah, that was beautiful, buddy. Like just seeing all the integration. you know, Because I think so many people, when they go see a doctor, they're they're talking about their symptoms, which of course they are. So that could be insomnia, it could be, you know, hormone disruption, which maybe is like dysmenorrhea for a woman or like, you know, painful periods, irregular periods. Um, or for men, they might be like feeling all the symptoms of low testosterone, sleepiness, you know, not able to put muscle on, not feeling a vitality, you know, all the different symptoms that we one might feel. And yet, <clears throat> we're being managed by the symptoms. So the, the doctor might put you on a antidepressant or painkiller or something to reduce inflammation. And we're just so far away from the source of, the, of what we need to correct. Um, something you said in the last podcast, which was, a, I think, really interesting or something loosely around this idea that the exercise matrix is a reflection of, of the soul or, or in the sense that it's, it's like a manifestation of the mind even. And it's more like the energetic side. And when we talk about the brain, often we like, confuse it with like our thoughts and, and our thinking and, and our mind to some degree. Um, and really, it's kind of like the receiver or the like, again, a communication tool. It's it's interfacing with thought and mind and everything. And then it's, it's re refracting, reflecting and processing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, through this instrument. 
which is compromised as a result of these other things. And so it's not uncommon that we like we don't think well of ourselves or we don't interact well with others or we feel less than or you know, we feel all the things that we feel just because there's this massive disruption in how, how these two fields, the mind and the brain, are communicating. Um, so, yeah, I love the picture you painted for people because it really correlates that, oh, you don't have a hormone problem. You actually, you know, you got to go further upstream. You got to get to, you know, really, how are you regulating? How are you communicating? Um, one other thing I'd like to say, too, on this point is that, you know, for a lot of people, what you just described, that happened in childhood. Like, it's not something that just happened in, you know, perimenopause for women or andropause or, you know, in their 20s or 30s. Like, the, there's been a version of that probably going on most of your life. You know, and uh, there's some really interesting studies on, on, on called ACE studies, the adverse childhood event studies. They look at the propagation of someone who's had childhood trauma, some or even head injuries and things like this, and the kind of disease disease manifestation that shows up for them, like much higher rates of suicide to depression to insomnia to uh, you know abuse or other things that will manifest later in life and it's because that brain's been dysregulated for so so long uh, so it's it's wild to think of just the impact that it's ha this is having on multiple different systems well and, you know <clears throat> i'm glad you said that because i i have to tell people this all the time because i think i think people know how important it is and the weight of it but i don't think they understand how important it is to address it actively. So like um, we're talking about the mind, right? And how it affects the brain from a mental, emotional capacity. So I could have trauma, like you're saying, whether it's childhood trauma or let's say I, I lost a loved one and, you know, I'm grieving and there's a lot going on, but there's some form of trauma taking place. So if I don't have an active role in dealing with that trauma, I'm going to be left, like you're saying, with an onslaught of just what that trauma ends up doing to my nervous system and to my mind and to my brain. So from a kid, from the standpoint of a kid, for example, like what Nick's talking about is I could have these emotional traumas growing up from like from the time I'm a newborn to age nine, let's just say. And the way your brain functions is every single thing that happens with that trauma, the mind remembers and puts into a memory bank. So there's going to be association as we move forward through life with whatever that mem those memories ingrained with that trauma. So anything that happens in life that faintly is close to the environment that you're in when you had that trauma will trigger your nervous system to go into that same tone. So think of like your nervous system has like this antiviral software. And so you're building your hard drive from the time you're born to about age nine uh, in your subconscious and all of that, mapping of your brain is going to basically be your hard drive for the rest of your life. And as we go into adulthood and we're growing up, a lot of times we're going to get triggered by things that were associations with things from our childhood, but they shouldn't be stressing us out. Right. But our nervous system is still going to behave that way. So like what Nick's saying is you're setting yourself up for this long-term disease process, honestly, globally, when you have emotional mental trauma that hasn't been dealt with. And that's what these studies are probably showing now, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And then you look at somebody, let's say it's not a childhood thing, but let's just say you're in your 40s and you lose a loved one. Well, let's say I don't deal with that grief properly for two years and I'm stuck in depression for, for a two-year period and I'm not, I don't have an active role in dealing with that grief. 
you're damaging your nervous system. You're damaging your brain because the mind is very powerful and the mind will override the system and it can cause, it can put us into dis-ease, right? So I always tell people like, especially my people that are grieving, I'm like, you need to go get counseling. You need somebody to help you go through the grieving process because it's not a matter of if you're going to grieve, it's how long are you going to grieve and how long is it going to take you to move through this efficiently to where you're always, I mean, I think people always grieve, but they heal from the grief a little bit to where they can move on with their lives and it's not causing a negative impact. And it's sad, man. I see a lot of people <clears throat> that have trauma like that and they don't have an active role in it. And they're like two, three years past the trauma and they're still like, it happened like a month ago. Yeah. You know, and it, and they don't understand how bad that, that, that is affecting their well being. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the griefing, the grieving has a few different stages to it. Like it's like denial and then there's like the aggressive phase and then there's like what's the next one it's something about like um what is it it's anger yeah uh, anger denial sadness anger denial no, sadness denial anger and then acceptance right something yeah like there, there's like another one in there where where it's oh. like uh making making deals like oh if okay. i do this then then or if only this then this yeah. Uh, but eventually, yeah, you eventually move to acceptance. But uh, something that I think that's important here is that like many of us are just accustomed to suffering. And so moving into acceptance is is a, a, it's a really wide gap uh, for yeah. so many people. And, and, you know, to the point of this dysregulated state that we find ourselves in, maybe just, you know, from zero to nine, um, where we're getting a lot of that programming, we, we might have learned the lesson that suffering is, is how you move through life. And... Uh, uh, I mean, it's, I would say it's kind of like, you know, labeling someone as someone who is a depressed, someone who's depressed, like you are depression versus oh, I'm experiencing the symptoms of it. You know, in the case of like grieving, I'm experiencing suffering, I'm, the, the symptoms of suffering and, and all that it, it entails, but I'm not someone who's uh, identifying as suffering or whatever you want to call it. Like I'm recognizing this as a state that I'm in. And, and I can move through this and I don't have to constantly orient myself through suffering in order to get through something. Right. Um, and so I think yeah, grieving and suffering are potentially two different things. Yeah, man. I mean, and you probably see this, huh? Like you, when people are sick, <clears throat> I always go back like two years before they felt really bad. And I say, well, what was happening in your life before this all started happening? And buddy, you can always trace it to like a big traumatic event in their life almost yeah. every time, almost every time. And like, so we're back to the brain and the mind, right? Like it all starts with the brain and the mind. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. there's a snowball effect that comes because there wasn't an active role and they just kept living life and then their health started to, to struggle. You know, it maybe yeah. starts with the hormones first because they're constantly in this fight or flight. And the hormone system starts to break down. And then this is causing issues, you know, like we talked brain, but this causes long-term issues with neurotransmitter balance in the brain. And, you know, like we just talked, like you have the pituitary gland and you have the hypothalamus. I mean, all these things start snowballing and then you have a systems problem. One of the last pieces, I mean, you mentioned some cool stuff earlier just uh, around what you did. It, it, like what you do sometimes uh, give a teaching to your to your people 
And I think identifying like this connection between what you're choosing for yourself or as in like maybe running a new mental program and how that can change state for someone else. Um, just the power in that, like so that there's this real merging of uh, maybe more ethereal or like energy with a, a physical matter, which I think is super important because the physical matter essentially is that expression of the, the hormones or the, the neuropeptides or whatever else is getting signaling into the body. And, and I was going to say one other thing just with regards to um, that learning process. I think so much of um, our capacity to move forward is limited based on our previous experience. I think we don't we don't like show up in a new moment going like, hey, wait a second. I don't, this is new territory for me. What, what's something new I can learn here? Like what, you know, what do I have yet to discover? Like, how can I sort of not lean on my past, so to speak? And that we often move through things just based on our previous experiences. We don't really tap into what else is possible for us. And I think that that's that gap right there for, for most of us, including myself. Like, I, I think that many of our decisions just come from what we've done before and not really tapping into what else is possible. And I think this is sort of the re-entry point for the mind. How can we use the mind? Like this is Joe Dispenza work, right? How do we use the mind as a vehicle to like reprogram the brain again in a different kind of way, a way that we have yet to, 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 to discover for ourselves. And I think like, this is where like we start to find our way with uh, re-regulating. And then well, like last thing I'll say on that is just that, part of the tools that we use electrically is, is neurofeedback. So this is where we can get re-regulation in the brain. So that is matching this new state that's possible for the mind, because when the electrical capacity of the brain is, is disrupted and say, like you said, you're not accessing your prefrontal cortex and you're stuck in that limbic system and you're, you're, you're not really engaging that electrical system to the prefrontal cortex. So if you can reroute the nervous system there, and then, and then bring in this new patterning for your mind, you know, through counseling, through energy work, through breath work, through, through meditation, through visualization, through like really engaging that you can, I think this is where we start to close that gap. And then obviously fill in the nutrition, fill in like the hormonal optimization. There's so many things that help to bolster that up. Um, but I think that's like a way to bring it full circle is like, it's from mind to brain and then brain back to the mind. That was perfect, man. You, because that needed to be said, and you, you hit it like you hit it on the head when you said state, right? Yeah. What What I want people to understand what Nick just says, it's a state, not a trait, and everybody knows that. When we're not well, we know it's not our. We know it's not a trait. We know that we're in a state that does not belong there. We're out of rhythm, and we feel it. That's that's what we, that's what everybody feels, right? And you can't find the right traits again if you don't get in the right state. And what these things do, like Nick's describing, whether it's neurofeedback or it's NIS or it's chiropractic or you're getting some other kind of brain mapping work done, it helps rewire and reconnect the brain to put you back in the state that enables you to navigate the mind the way you need to. Because unfortunately, I love it that you said this, man. You cannot navigate your mind properly when you're not in the right state. That's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, 100%, man. 
That's I think that was the, the cherry it's just on impossible, top. right? Like you can't navigate oh, the mind and you can't find those aha moments or those moments of insight or the healing or the epiphanies or whatever that is that you're looking for, like Nick is saying. That is not available to you when you're not in the right state. And that's what yeah. the beauty of these tools are, man. It helps get the state change so you can get back into that state that is necessary to start making the necessary changes. Yeah, I mean, extreme examples would be people in an addictive cycle, right? Where they're they're so deep in their behavior and they're so deep in that state. And they're so deep in that identification with like, this is just who I am. Like we, we kind of mentioned that with regards to depression and and suffering. And this is just who I am. This is like, we, we were so quick to label ourselves. Uh, I call it um, the observation versus meaning, like the ohm formula. We're either observing like, oh shit, I feel really crappy right now. Um, things aren't going well, you know, whatever that might be, whatever that uh, dialogue is, that observation. But then we, we're just so quick to give it meaning. And so then it's because I'm a, a depressed person or it's because I'm an addict or I know that's a charge word, of course, but, um, you know, it's because of this. We, we were quick to label that trade on ourselves. And so how do we actually access a different state when we know this is who we are? You know what I mean? And that's, that's you know, that's like a... Ryan Holiday, the, the obstacle is the way, like uh, what stands in the way becomes the way. So how do we like move through the obstacle by, by being okay with, you know, the obstacle being there, you know, and that's, that's having access to changing your state. Cause I mean, we change our state all the time. We change our state when we're sleeping, we go from obviously alert to, to unconscious. Um, we're in a different state when we're just coming out of our sleep. So these are different states that, that we find ourselves in. Um, but we can do that with breath work. We can do that with getting into a cold plunge, right? We can get that into just doing a hard workout, going for a long run or, you know, uh, doing some rucking or, you know, we can change our states faster than we realize. And then if we apply that on a regular basis through breath work, meditation, or like I said, NIS, chiropractic, I know I, I would come off a chiropractic table too. I'm like, mm, I just feel better. Oh yeah. You know, okay. and it's like, can we, can we, can we just celebrate that we feel different? Right. Yeah. Well, and like anybody who's been to a chiropractor will tell you, right? When you get a good upper cervical adjustment, it's like a hard reset. It's like somebody hit the reset button on your computer. Yeah. And you feel it immediately, right? I mean, it's, it's almost immediate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, it, it's so important. So I'm glad we kind of wrapped that with the solutions, right? The solutions are, are finding the state change and finding tools to help you utilize uh basically you're just leveraging like you're saying it could be lifestyle habit leverage or you go to a practitioner that does these things for you but you're you're finding something just to help you get back in the state the rhythm that you know you're supposed to be in so that you can you know, start evolving and growing or or making mm -hmm. the changes necessary to heal right yeah well i mean how how i mean i just had someone earlier today who's so identified with her anxiety and so like, I mean, there's, there's people who are anxious and there's people who are like really, really anxious. Um, so when we're doing neurofeedback, I mean, she, she doesn't want me to leave the room. She wants to make sure that the door is open. Like there's very, like, there's a real need to, to keep the environment safe. Right. And it's, and it's so interesting how quickly we guard that state, right? Like we want to protect it because it's the only thing that we know. And so part of the like the education for for this individual is that your brain is going to 
re-regulate into a new way of being. And so there's going to be this electrical change, neurological change that's happening in your brain, but your mind is still over here. Like, like you talked about harmonization, right? Like integration. Mm -hmm. uh, when the brain is starting to learn a new behavior, that's going to feel unsafe. It's going to feel new because, because again, we always reference things to how they went in the past. I mean, this poor individual had a really nasty concussion. But since then, it's like, this is the person, this is the trait, this is the person who she is. And I just want to give like a real life example of like, it's it's crazy how intense it can be. And then when we see the, like one of the, one of the things that um, she ended up sharing was like, she was able to go out to uh, a restaurant and there was like noise and like an environment that would typically really trigger her because the, the bandwidth for someone that's so deep in their pain and their and their suffering and their their acuteness of like how it feels acutely even though it's become a chronic issue it's terrifying so to see that she had a little more space was like this is new you know this is this is really really new and and that's part of that i think mind recognizing oh like things are all different but they better not be too different because if it gets too different you know that's too new for me right so i think like our mind is really good at just sort of keeping things safe enough so there's just like like i told her it's kind of like we're fluffing up a pillow we're just giving a little bit more space for you a little bit more bandwidth a little bit more awareness uh so that you can sort of push up against those boundaries of what typically in the past might have felt very uncomfortable and now you get to sort of nudge up against that and recognize you got a little bit more time there um yeah i mean i'm sure you've got a ton of patient oh, stories like that but i thought it'd be like helpful to just to see like how the integration actually happens right? oh yeah and it, and it throws them off right because like it, it surprises them <laughs> they're like yeah. oh i win i didn't even notice it until i noticed it right they're like not even conscious that it's happening until they really like look at it or you have to mention it they're like oh yeah i was able to do that and it's literally because like you're saying the brain's getting rewired and it allows the mind to yeah. actually work more effortlessly right and be more in sync with the brain but it's crazy man I mean, it's it's amazing how much when the brain starts to struggle the mind will unravel really fast yeah. and then yeah. like you're saying some people can't get a grip on their mind and they're so far in that sympathetic tone that they're so anxious man and then you have the other side right you have some people that are so stuck in parasympathetic and they're just like bottomed out depressed yeah. And so this goes both ways for our listeners on the brain. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be, you know, so, so much anxiety from that, that prolonged, you know, sympathetic or prolonged parasympathetic where you're so depressed, you don't even want to get out of bed or you don't want to even get up to do anything for your family or whatever that may be. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the power in a lot of these things like what Joe Dispenza is doing with his, his meditations and some of these other practitioners is they're showing how powerful the mind can be and how it can override the brain when you do things like breath work and meditation and use these type of systems. And I love Dispenza because he's testing everything and he, it's all verifiable through blood work and brain mapping and all these things. And he's showing this is what's actually happening when you do my meditations that I'm teaching you. And we teach you how to like get into gratitude and these other types of things. And I love, I, I use his stuff all the time, man, but I always tell people when they're really sick, I'm like, you can't be the same person you are right now and come out of this and be, and be healthy. You're going to have to change who you are. Totally. You have to be a new person coming out of this, right? 
and that's what scares people right and that's that's kind of what i was saying where we we're, we're so attached to that trait that we uh or that we, we've identified with that trait that uh, anything outside of that feels scary and it feels like a lot of work um I've, i find people do that with pain too like they're so deeply identified with their pain and then when the pain's gone they forget that they had pain and it's just such a it's i mean it's just fascinating to think of like how protective our entire system gets like obviously our brain and our mind um, but one, one other thing, like, I know we, we, we were going to maybe jump into lymph too, but I think something that's really important here, and again, we brought up Joe Dispenza, we talked a little bit about heart math, but this, this sort of like feedback loop that happens from the heart to the brain and through the, the, the testing of, or like the measurement of heart rate variability. So I thought mm-hmm. it might be worthwhile to sort of just share that because yeah, yeah. this is part of that master computer, the, the heart to the brain. Well, let me just explain it this way. So I, I have an HRV at, at the office. You have one too, don't you? Do you have an HRV? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's heart math. It's way less sophisticated okay. than yours. Yeah. So I've got a I've got a neat HRV system. And basically what we do is we, we run 300 heartbeats on people and we look at your heart rate variability. And the reason we use this tool in my clinic is because you can get a really good look at the autonomic nervous system through heart rate variability. So this system has algorithms that it takes you through like eight different screens. It shows me everything from your heartbeats. And if you have arrhythmias, PVCs, things like that, then it goes into the autonomic nervous system. It shows me sympathetic tone, parasympathetic tone. And then it shows me neurohormonal regulation, like in a pie chart. So it tells me where you're tipping right on the, on the seesaw. It tells me uh, if you're, nervous systems in balance. So if your autonomic nervous system is in balance, central nervous system, and then it'll even show me how much you have left in the tank. Uh, basically if we get hit with like another stressor, it shows me metabolism. I'm able to look at like, uh, your brain and actually see what brain state we're stuck in. So we're able to look at Delta, Theta, Alpha, Gamma, and Beta. And then we can look at things like, uh, hormones and minerals and, Anyways, to wrap it up, what Nick was trying to explain is the heart-brain connection is immense. So, like, when we do a scan on people, we're looking at the heart, and the person just sitting there, they're in a pretty chill environment, right? And we just have them just say, we tell them, close your eyes and just breathe and relax. And so the office isn't a stressful place, but it's interesting what you'll see on that heart rate variability. These people are in a very neutral space, and they get horrible scores when they're not well. Their nervous systems are whacking out. So you pull these people's scores up and they're a high sympathetic tone. There's very little parasympathetic. And then there are hormone, neurohormonal backup systems like off the charts. And it's overworking all day. And you'll see inflammatory factors up and you see all this imbalance. And then you can actually have them go back through this test again. And there's a little thing on the screen that shows like a bubble. And there's some apps like this where it has you take up like an inhale and the bubble's expanding and then it'll exhale and it it shrinks. And you'll take the person through the exact same test again, but looking at this bubble thing while they're breathing. And then their heart rate variability improves almost immediately. And so it shows this integration with our breath and how it actually will calm our nervous system down and how it changes the variability of our heart rate. And so... That just goes into looking at things like breath work, which is involved with meditation and all these things you see people doing. But it's really neat to see how impactful that stuff can be, like if people would just do it more regularly, right? Like it's very impactful. Breath work is powerful, powerful stuff. 
And if if you can have a tool like like we have, and there's there's I think they have tools now. Like I think my um my Woot Bam, you can actually do some yeah, breath yeah. work, and you can look at your stress index now because this one runs HRV all day. So that one's actually pretty mm-hmm. cool. But there's tools available now that we can readily do this on a daily basis when we're getting really stressed. And, yeah. and it gives us uh, those biomarkers to tell us where our nervous system's at. Yeah. I mean, you, you like you said it, man. Like, I think because, and going back to what we said before, not to beat a dead horse, so to speak, but this is that trait versus state thing. You know, like we know that breath work is a profound effect on our state. And it's measurable. Like th- th- this isn't this isn't just some oh you should you should breathe. Like it's actually impact. It's the one thing that we have conscious and unconscious control over. Uh, I think it's probably one of the most vital of all of our systems. Like we can only go a few minutes without breath. Uh, we can go many days without food, and and then you know less than that with water. But breath is like I mean we've done podcasts on this before too, but. It, it literally changes that whole, I think it's, it's like the, the tool for integration between that mind and the brain. It's, it's one of those things that has such obvious impact on that HRV. Um, and it, I mean, what a powerful tool. So if people just did that, you know, even three minutes a day, five minutes a day, or when you get into a state like that, I, I think like we're just not giving it enough attention that it needs. Um, I know for me too, like if I, if I'm having a couple of stressful days in a row or if I'm feeling sick or whatever, I'll put on a, a yoga nidra session, which is basically just like a, sort of a, a passive lay down or it doesn't have to be just laying down, but passive meditation or just tuning in, listening, or it can be brain tap or something like that. But it's such a great reset. I come out of that just feeling recharged again. It's like a mini nap, um, but it incorporates, you know, body awareness and breath and, and uh but it, it it can be less than that much less than that yoga nidra session might be 15 minutes you can literally do box breathing for or the heart re- heart math or the, that heart coherence breath for you know three to five minutes and you're getting real-time information to show how quickly it's changing your nervous system i mean it's powerful very powerful and then like nick's saying i mean it's number one doing it but getting like knowing when to do it don't wait too long mm-hmm. to do these things like if you get yep. stressed out one day do it the same day like before you go to bed or you know if you have time after a stressful event sit down for a couple minutes and just do breath work for three minutes that that little bit can downregulate your nervous system and pull you out of that fight or flight so you're not sitting in it for hours yeah or even days ma'am some people it's isn't days. It crazy isn't it crazy we make excuses though Oh yeah. I mean, it's the simplest thing you could do. And, and it's probably the last thing you're thinking about when you're in the middle of a crisis, of course, but I mean, you're getting better oxygen flow into your brain. So you're going to be able to think more clearly. You know, obviously you're going to be able to re-regulate that cortisol upswing. Um, You know, so much changes in just such a short period of time. One of the biggest thing it's doing, man, is it's working with your vagus nerve. So for our listeners, your vagus nerve is one of the main nerves that helps you regulate the autonomic nervous system, that sympathetic parasympathetic tone. It helps that seesaw have balance. But when you lose integrity of your vagus nerve, that's when you're going to tip from one side to the other too much. So breath work, one of the things your breath work, your your breath is in, I'm sorry, your vagus is in charge of is your breath. Your vagus regulates your heart rate, your breath, your inflammatory response, and it innervates all your digestive glands. So if you can tap into your breath and regulate it, it actually will stimulate that vagal nerve tone 
which will put you back into that parasympathetic tone to pull you out of that stressful state. So you're tapping into like one of the main parts of your body that helps you regulate that when you do those things. Yeah. Just like the yeah. cryo, like you were talking totally. about cryo earlier. Cryo is great to get a hard reset. I got to tell a quick story about cryo just because it's such a powerful tool. People that do it know it. But if you haven't done it, I'll tell a quick story. So my brother, he was just in a really bad place, man. And his stress levels had gotten so high that his anxiety was like off the charts. And he lives in Florida and I'm over all the way over here in Texas. And so my mom calls me. She's like, what do I do? Your brother, he's so anxious. He's talking about suicide and all these things are going on and he's, he's not well and he's just all over the place. What do I do? And I said, well, how long has it been going on? She told me, I said, well, and it was extreme. It was really bad. I said, well, let's do this. I was like, tell him to go back to go buy about six bags of ice, throw them in the bathtub, fill the bathtub up without water and just tell him to sit in the bathtub as long as he can and do that for like two or three rounds for like three or four minutes. But he had been in that state for probably like two and a half weeks after he did that, completely pulled him out. Wow. Like one session in the bathtub of like just freezing his ass off, completely pulled his nervous system and it pushed him back in the parasympathetic tone. And then he was able to manage everything after he got that. So dude, cryo is very, very powerful for, for regulating yeah. the nervous system and getting you, getting you back into that balance. So, yeah, I mean, these are great tools, man. I mean, and they're like, you're saying breath and cold water. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Those don't cost anything. I mean, I know there's all these companies selling cryo tanks now, but I mean, you don't necessarily need to do that. Do a cold mm -hmm. shower, go bag some. If it's you want to do it at home, just go bag some, buy some bags of ice, throw them in the bathtub and fill your bathtub up. I mean, you know, it's very powerful just to help make your adaptive systems have to shift a little bit. Yeah. What a, what a powerful experience i mean oh man i mean was, hard to hear that too as a brother just knowing that you, oh yeah your bro's going through yeah. some heavy times right like but well, wait yeah, was, like that's a that's a change in uh state right there state right? change like, yeah and, that, and yeah. i knew that's what he needed right so like that's i couldn't help him because i'm in texas so i was like what can i have him do that he can do at home that will just completely make his state change and that was it that's all he needed he needed a state change well you think about what's happening there. Like you're getting interface, like you're a total wake up of your extracellular matrix. Like it's having to massively oh, adjust. The whole system. Right? Yeah. And then your breath, you're, you're like, you're taking yeah. a huge breath in to deal with that mm -hmm. stress, right? There's so many mechanics that are happening. Um, and then going back in, like the mind, like I'm going to go in there, you know, like I'm going to do something really hard and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. If you had them do a couple rounds. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there for integration. Wow, that's a great story, man. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, even it's you know, you brought up something just briefly before we were saying, like, you know, people can get stuck in that parasympathetic state too, and you know, we know that like dopamine, you know, it's, if we were to say that that would be a massive surge of dopamine by doing cold plunge, uh, it's possible that he might have been more dysregulated in the parasympathetic side, and he actually needed something to like move towards. Uh, we know that dopamine gets more; it's it's like this. It's an activation or a release in uh, anticipation of a reward. So we're going to be doing something really hard. Hopefully on the other end of that, it's going to be something positive. But this that's a huge surge in dopamine that, that mm -hmm. he's going to get from being in that experience and, and oh, yeah. then testosterone and other things. Right. Uh, massive shunting of blood flow, change in that cortisol rhythm. Like there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. It's powerful, man. So powerful. 
And and yeah. it's funny because, I mean, we talk about ancient healing strategies. They've been doing mm. this forever, right? Forever. Yeah. And now we're in 2023 and people are buying these expensive, you know, dunk tanks and all this shit. And you yeah. have people, I mean, and it's, it's this fad, but it's not a fad. Like it's always yeah. been there. It's just yeah. now people are actually waking up. And I think the reason it's happening so much is we have a, a country of very stressed out people, man. Yep. And that's why it's getting such notoriety, right? Yeah. You, you've got a, you got a tank though, don't you? I have like a makeshift tank. I bought it one of yeah. those big like Rubbermaid tanks that they right. use at farms and stuff and I'll throw ice in there. But we're, we're actually going to do some improvements to the house and we're going to add a tank in the backyard, maybe nice. two tanks, actually a hot and a cold. On a cold, yeah. Yeah, a hot tub and a cold tank. But yeah. Can't wait to see it. I yeah, mean, you also, David's also upgrading his clinic uh, to expand his his vitality lab. So, yeah. you know, for all of you that are local for David, you know, it's it's pretty interesting to use some of these adaptive or these horm hormetic type of technologies, uh, the red light, the, you know, all the stuff that you've got in your, your, your lab. And then, you know, it's someone who's practicing what they preach. They've got it at home, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Sauna does that too for me, man. Like sauna is another state changer. Mm -hmm. um, it's another extreme temperature fluctuation that your body has to adapt to. So these are simple yet powerful tools, right? So I think that's a good place to wrap it, buddy, because we haven't given our home play in a while. Oh, that's true. Let's do it. Should we? Is it a cold plunge? So I'm going to give home play today. Let's not narrow it to a cold plunge. Let's just say... For our listeners, what can you do this week that you can start maybe implementing habitually that creates a state change for you? So it could be cryo, it could be an infrared sauna, um, breath, could be breath work, could be meditation, could be neurofeedback, mm -hmm. um, whatever you can think of that we can add to that list. Start getting in the habit of creating a workout, right? An intense workout, right? Yep. Yoga, something like that. Um, what do you do for state changes? And then start rating your state changes. How powerful are they for you? Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to add some that you haven't tried before. You know, I love cryo, man. Yeah. People are the, the people that are most afraid of it get the most benefit. I will so say true. that. So I will true. say that. <laughs> yeah. So true. It's funny. We were, we were some Portland uh, or the Oregon coast and beautiful there. Like the Sandy beaches are, just, I mean, there's something out of a picture book. I mean, it's just, gorgeous but the water's cold man it's it feels colder in oregon than it does in the the northern coast of, like you're off the coast of vancouver here um it's freezing and yeah. and that was our cryo session jumping in the waves and dunking under and, and had the kids come in it, it was amazing so if you're near an ocean that could be you know and you're not you're hesitant to go in go for it man or a cold river or something but yeah, yeah. it's it's fun that's fun. Yeah. Remember when we were at men's camp, we jumped in that pond? That <laughs> uh, was cold questionable water, pond. buddy. That was yeah, cold, was. though. It was cold. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it was awesome. And there was after. a giant grizzly like 200 yards away from us in the field. <laughs> that was fun. Then we wrestled him, right? That right. was part of the hormetic yeah, response. You know it. Yeah, it's part of the treatment. <laughs> Uh, that actually didn't happen to everyone, but yes. if it did, uh, that would be a story for sure. Yes. There was a bear there. There was a there bear. There was a bear, yeah. All right, buddy. So good to see you again. And you too, uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear, you know, if any of you guys reach out and share what you did for your hormetic challenge or your state change challenge, we'd love to hear. Um, 
we know that you know it's been impactful in our own lives so it's always nice to hear stories from when what people are noticing in their own so absolutely buddy we'll see you in two weeks until next time brother yeah adios adios bye. thanks for listening if you enjoyed today's podcast please be sure to subscribe to the dr dads and share with your family and friends you can also follow and interact with dr nick and dr david on facebook and instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness be well